Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we had no UFC event this weekend. It was a nice Saturday night to myself, with my family, just getting to enjoy life on a Saturday night. Not that I don't enjoy my life on a Saturday night. I mean, every Saturday night I get to watch some of the best athletes in the entire world go toe-to-toe for a living. So nobody's complaining here. But nice to have the occasional week off. There's only about six of them a year. So when they do happen, it's a welcome change. But it also gets me hungry for the upcoming UFC event. Of course, this Saturday, first ever UFC event in Paris, France. John Gooden on the call. Very, very excited for that card. But this past weekend, we did have some mixed martial arts. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about some of the news that's come out over the last little bit. But first, the biggest story coming out of the weekend has to be Demetrius Johnson. For the first time, winning the one championship bantamweight belt. After coming to one championship with such promise, a couple bumps in the road here or there, but... He gets it done in spectacular fashion. And I'd like to revisit the trade. The thing that brought Demetrius Johnson to one championship. And the benefactors of that trade. And that's the subject of this week's monologue. October 27th, 2018 was a significant date in mixed martial arts history. It was the day of the trade between the UFC and one championship that resulted in Ben Askren resuming his MMA career with the UFC and Demetrius Johnson moving over to one championship. And looking back on it, especially after Johnson reminded everyone of just how good he is on Saturday, it really is incredible to see how well the trade worked out for all parties involved. Let's start with the UFC, who on paper ended up with a fighter who only went 1-2 and in their promotion. What did it do for them? Number one, it opened up their flyweight division. Since Johnson departed, there have been three different flyweight champions, plus the sport's only championship quadrilogy, which is on the horizon between Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Number two, it made it seem like being a Bellator or one championship title holder was much easier to do in comparison to becoming a UFC champion after Askren floundered in the promotion. Number three, it made for some fun Ben Askren press conferences. Number four, Askren was on the wrong end of one of the greatest highlights ever when Jorge Masvidal knocked him out in five seconds, ultimately building Masvidal into one of the biggest stars in the sport. For one championship, it was a complete no-brainer. Number one, Askren was retired, so one was getting nothing out of him and ended up with one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the sport in his prime. And after Adriano Moraes defeated Demetrius Johnson, it showed that fighters in one championship were not second-rate and could hang with the top fighters in the world. It gave them a redemption story in Johnson, who ultimately avenged the loss to Moraes. And for Demetrius Johnson, he ended up in a much better situation, one that made him much happier, with his coach, Matt Hume, being part of one championship brass and allowed him to become one of the faces of the promotion. For Askren, despite the losses, he was able to parlay his rough UFC tenure into boxing match with Jake Paul. And while ultimately losing to Paul and going 1-2 and two in the UFC had a very negative effect on his legacy, he certainly maximized his earning potential after having initially retired. And perhaps the biggest winners of the whole trade? First round management, who not only represent Demetrius Johnson, but also Jorge Masvidal, who ended up becoming one of the biggest box office draws in MMA as a result of his stunning win over a then-undefeated Ben Askren, who oh yeah, were part of a deal that first-round management had facilitated in the first place. If there is ever another high-profile trade in mixed martial arts, 
which may never happen again, it will have big shoes to fill, as the trade has aged like a fine wine for absolutely everybody involved. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, and this is The Monologue. That was the monologue on the trade. Demetrius Johnson for Ben Askren, really the only high-profile trade. If you won't even want to call it that, mixed martial arts, more of an agreement than anything else. Askren at the time was basically retired, said he wasn't going to fight in one championship again. It wasn't any sort of contract dispute, but he felt like his work was done. Felt like he could call it a career. And then, of course, we know what happened from there, as it was just outlined in the wonderful monologue that I do each and every week. So, why don't we dive into that. Demetrius Johnson. This guy has had some of the greatest finishes of any fighter ever, really. If you, like, if you look, I mean, you're talking about the smallest weight class, at least in the UFC. And I think in one championship also, I don't think there's a smaller weight class. Maybe there is. I'm not super familiar with one championship, to be perfectly honest. Let's see, one championship division. I'm going to look this up right now. I don't think there's a smaller men's division. Maybe in the Muay Thai side, but I don't think in the MMA side. Mixed martial arts. Weight divisions. There's straw weight, male, female. I'm not sure if that's in MMA, though. Yeah, okay. Well, either way. Regardless of that, if we thought, look just at the UFC. Smallest weight class. You look at some of these finishes that he's had. Of course, you look at this Adrian Amarish finish. Perfect. Like poetry. He calls it on his social media poetry in motion, and that's basically exactly what it was. Perfectly calculated, perfectly timed finish that he had. If you go to the... Anatomy of a Fighter Twitter account, I guess Will Harris's Twitter account. He posted a video of him kind of outlining this plan of how he was going to defeat Adriano Marais. And uh, game plan paid off heavily in terms of what he was able to do. You know, none of his finishes in one championship prior to that were, were all that spectacular. But let's go back in time. You got the mighty whiz bar on Ray Borg, one of the greatest finishes in, in MMA history, really, in terms of ingenuity in terms of creativity just an unbelievable finish and set the record for the most consecutive title defenses with 11 then you've got the Henry Cejudo finish where he defeated Henry Cejudo the first time with that beautiful knee to the body basically shut Henry Cejudo down only person that's ever done that to Henry Cejudo um unbelievable then there's the Kyoji Horiguchi Finish in Montreal with one second left in the fight. Latest finish in UFC history, latest it can be. I mean, tied for the latest. I can't get any later than that. I guess it could. I guess if there was a finish at 25 minutes of the... Like, if there was a finish after the fifth round, where somebody is being choked and they go out, and then the referee, at the end of the fight, after time elapses, they can still call that a submission. They can call it a retirement at the end of the fifth round. So that could actually be the latest, if we're going to get into technicalities. The uh, knockout of Joseph Benavidez was spectacular. The, the, I guess that would have been his second title, or third title defense, rather. The guy's just had some really unbelievable finishes for a smaller fighter. The uh, armbar against Wilson Hayes, another good one. So, just want to give, give a shout-out to Demetrius Johnson. It's funny. All of these people, you know, nobody's talking about him anymore. And now all of a sudden everybody's back. They're enamored with him again. Like, it's as if that loss to Adriana Moraes was like a death knell to his reputation. Like, he was never going to be that good again. He's fighting under a, basically a new, new rule set in one where they're allowing strikes to a grounded opponent. 
against Adrian Amrice makes it a lot more, I guess, dangerous. I mean, it's a more dangerous style of fight if you're allowing knees to ground their opponents. He has to worry about that. Just kind of a different situation. He was a, such a big favorite in those previous matchups. Match uh, this was actually the first time he was an underdog since he fought Dominic Cruz. That was in 2011. So nearly 11 years since he had closed as an underdog. And he closed as an underdog against Adrian Amarais. Adrian Amarais is an excellent fighter. Amarais looked good early on in that fight, except, you know, Demetrius was able to kind of pick up momentum as the fight went on. Almost got to the conclusion of the fourth round before he was able to get that finish. But either way, Demetrius Johnson's one of the all-time greats. I, I don't think that that's news to anybody, but I feel like people slept on him for whatever reason. Like, it was all forgotten because that one loss and one championship. So, he is the one flyweight championship champion. Uh, their, their flyweight division is 135 because of their weight, weight cut thing, their hydration thing. And their first event on Prime Video was uh, was excellent. The main card was just full of, full of highlights. The uh, Amir Ali Akbari win with by elbows was beautiful. Uh, Buchecha with his emotional, stirring post-fight speech after the loss of his friend Leandro Lowe gets the uh, early heel hook. The two uh, Muay Thai fights were unbelievable. It was a lot of fun to watch. The only problem I have with one championship is everything is the best. Everything is the greatest. Everything is the most. Everything is this. That's, I, you know, when I was watching along, I wrote that on social media. It's just like, everything is so steeped in hyperbole. It's like, we've got the best banter. We've got the best heavyweight division in MMA. We've got, this is the greatest heavyweight of all time in terms of Greco-Roman wrestling. This guy is the absolute best. We're watching it already. Like, we're watching the event. You don't need to sell us on it. Like, we obviously are interested in your product. We're interested in what you're putting out. We want to see how it's going. We want to watch it. You don't need to be, like, doing promos in the vi- in the broadcast. Like, we're already watching. You don't need to be like, this is the greatest fight ever coming up. Like, well, we're watching it. We're, we're not going anywhere. You've, got, you've had us for this long. You know, it's not like people are changing the channels and flipping to one on Prime Video. It's a street, like, you have to go and find it. It's a streaming service. Like it's, you have to go out of your way to go on Prime Video to, to type in one championship and find it. It's like you're not gonna stumble upon it. And be like, oh wow, oh, oh we got uh, Liam Harrison. I, I don't know anything about Muay Thai. I don't know who this guy is. Oh, Buchecha, this guy's a world class BJJ practitioner. But they also go like above. Like the, the problem is, like if you said Buchecha is one of the greatest heavyweights to ever compete in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you're not wrong. But when you're calling everybody else the greatest and everything else is the greatest, it just it's it waters it down. That's all. But I give one on Prime Video the fantastic grades. The fighting, the quality of the fights was unbelievable. It's more the broadcasting that uh, and, and the promos. The, the this belt weighs 26 pounds and it has seven rubies. It's like great, cool. Like you don't need to mention it nine times. So we get it. It's a heavy belt and it's in a Tumi case and we understand. You've got our attention. We we are watching the event. You don't need to push it on us. We understand. Everything's great. I mean, how great is your Friday night if you're at home watching one championship anyways? Yeah, I enjoyed the card. I'm not trying to put one championship down. I think that... I'm saying that basically the outside of the cage product takes away from the inside of the cage product, which is the problem. You don't need to sell us on something we've already been sold on. We're watching it. I digress. 
That's my takeaway from one championship outside of the cage. Just the broadcast. You know, I think people thought that I was uh, saying that, the, you know, putting down the production value or something along those lines or the uh, the walk to the cage or the pageantry. I love all that stuff. It reminds me of Pride. It reminds me of Dream. That stuff is great. It's more just the commentary constantly talking about how great everything is. We get it. So congratulations to Demetrius Johnson. And uh, really, really touched by that speech by Buchecha. You could tell how affected he was going into this fight uh, due to the loss of his friend. And uh, not easy circumstances. That's why these guys are such, you know, incredible human beings to, in terms of their competitive spirit. It's like, guy loses his best friend. He's thinking of pulling out of the fight. And his thought is, you know, my best friend would not want me to do that. And he goes forward and he wins in, over one, in just over a minute. And he wasn't even that big of a favorite. He was a 4-1 favorite. But for a guy with the pedigree of Buchecha, you'd expect him to be an even bigger favorite. I don't know what he closed at. I just remember seeing it. It was like 4-1. to one. I was like, oh, that seems like good value. Even as like a 4-1 favorite, it seemed like good value. And it turns out it was. So that is the recap for a one championship. Now, not too much to talk about in terms of that. But uh, just Demetrius Johnson needs to get the credit that he has earned. I mean, if you're talking about Mount Rushmore, I understand that he lost to Marais and he lost to Cejudo, but now he's avenged both those losses. The only loss he hasn't avenged... Well, not, there isn't a loss at flyweight he hasn't avenged. He's avenged all of his losses at flyweight. Guy's just an unbelievable fighter. And uh, I think he really should be looked upon as uh, one of the all-time greats just from what he's been able to do in his career. It is pretty crazy that, that trade was like three plus years ago. Because aside from Adriana Marais, if you like put somebody on the spot that follows MMA, would you be like, who were the opponents that uh, he fought before facing Adriana Marais? I don't think a lot of people would know. That doesn't mean anything, though. It doesn't take anything away from the accomplishment, but just saying. Anyhow, we move on. Let's talk about uh, Bellator announcing some pretty big fights. Before we get into the UFC's uh, bout in Paris. Two big ones announced on the uh, MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani today. Two of whom were uh, in studio with him. We had uh, Ralphion Stotts against Danny Sabatello. That's uh, Bellator 289. That's going to be a great card. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for, uh, I think it's Bellator 288. Is also uh, also looks like a really good card. That's the one in Chicago, I believe. Here. So here's here's what Bellator has announced. So they got uh, this is what's going to round out the year. They got five more events. It appears they got Henderson versus Quilly and Romero versus Manhoff. That's coming up in a couple of weeks' time in Dublin, Ireland. It's a Friday, I guess, Friday afternoon here on the East Coast. I would imagine it's always a weird time to watch MMA, but uh, I'll be watching. Then one week later, I guess eight days later. You got Patricio Pitbull making his first featherweight title defense since winning the championship back from AJ McKee. And you've also got AJ McKee on the same card against Spike Carlisle, former UFC veteran in the lightweight division. Spike Carlisle's fights are always a lot of fun. Don't necessarily agree with his uh, worldview, but uh, regardless, fun fighter to watch. Pitbull versus Borics going to be a, a great main event as well. Then October 29th, my, my son's birthday... You got Adam Piccolotti against uh, Barnawi in the main event. This is in Italy. And you've got uh, 
the brother of Rocky Edwards taking on, I think it's Brendan Ward. So Fabian Edwards against Brendan Ward, middleweight coming event. I think it's Brendan Ward. It says Ward. Is it Charlie Ward, maybe? Maybe it's Charlie Ward. I think, but I don't think Brendan Ward is a middleweight. Maybe it must be Charlie Ward. Look that up. I want to make sure that I'm getting these, these right because uh, I'm looking these up kind of on the fly in terms of, well, yeah, Charlie Ward. Not, not Brendan Ward. I, I made a mistake there. Charlie Ward. And that's taking place in Italy, October 29th. And a couple weeks after that, you got November the 18th, the rematch, Vadim Nemkov against Corey Anderson. The first one was a no contest. The belt is on the line. The million dollars on the line. They're billing it as the World Grand Prix finale, even though the first, even though the, the final ended in a no contest. So I guess they're running that one back with all the stakes of the first fight. And then you've got the lightweight championship of the world, Patricky Pitbull. I'm Patricio is the is the featherweight. Patricky Pitbull taking on Usman Nurmagomedov. I'm looking forward to that one. I can't believe how quickly Usman Nurmagomedov has gotten to the uh, world championship. And then to round out the year, the, December the 9th in Uncasville. That last fight, by the way, in Chicago. This one in Uncasville, Connecticut. Kind of the, the home base for Bellator, for the most part. You got uh, Danny Sabatello, and uh, I would recommend Sabatello and Stoss. Their dual interviews uh, on both the uh, MMA Hour and on Morning Combat. I don't know. I didn't see them anywhere else, but I'm sure they did some other media. Stoss versus Sabatello. And then you got uh, the other bantamweight World Grand Prix side of the bracket. Patchy Mix against Magomed Magomedov. That's a great way to end the year. That is a fun, fun set of fights. So good on Bellator. Nice uh, nice way to round out the year for them. That This bantamweight tournament's been a lot of fun. Probably their most their deepest weight class, so it makes sense that it's been a lot of fun. It's a great weight class. Can you imagine if they end up doing like AJ McKee against Usman or Magomedov? If, if both those guys win their fights, that would be great. That would be awesome to see. I'd watch that. You should too. But uh, anyways, that was the big news from uh, from today in terms of Bellator on their side of things. So. Kudos to them putting on some uh, some nice fights. Trying to think if there's uh, anything else uh, news-wise. Uh, well, they announced two fights for UFC 279. I can't remember if Joe and I touched on this last week, but uh, we have uh, for UFC 279. I don't think they've announced the bout order yet. Let me see if it's on the UFC's website. I'm curious what the co-main event is. These they added two really strong uh, fights to that card. You had Tony Ferguson. Back at welterweight. And he is taking on the one and only Leech. Li Jingliang. It looks like that's the co-main event based on the current lineup they have on their page. So the main card would be, if, if this is accurate, would be as follows. You have the main event of Shamaya versus Diaz. You got Li Jingliang against Tony Ferguson. You got Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod. You got Irene Aldana. Uh, Irene Aldana, rather, against Macy Chason. That's a fun one. And you've got Johnny Walker against Iwan Kutelaba. That's your five fights. And then to headline the prelims, Canada's own Hakeem Dawadu taking on Julian Erosa. And uh, another one I'm really looking forward to, number 14th ranked Shamil Abdurrahimov taking on Jailton Almeida, who is uh, seemingly one of the prospects to watch in the UFC. 
curious to see him move up the uh, the heavyweight ladder and possibly even light heavyweight. He could probably compete in both. Another Canadian on the card as well, Chad and Helliger taking on Alateng Haley in the bantamweight division. So, oh, and uh, I didn't see this card added. Darian Weeks and Yo- Johan Linus got added to that card also. Darian Weeks was supposed to be facing this weekend. Supposed to be facing uh, Cedric Dumbay. And for uh, reasons that are strange and legislative in terms of France, that got moved. So he ends up facing, rather than someone from France, a French-Canadian, Johan Linus. That's a a fun one. Linus, unfortunately, lost his uh, UFC debut. So he's going to look to bounce back against Darian Weeks. It's a good matchup for him. Um, I think skill for skill, they match up really well against one another. So that's what UFC 279 is looking like. Now, Tony Ferguson against Li Jing Lang is an interesting one. It's weird that Tony Ferguson is fighting before Chandler is, but I know Chandler and his wife, shortly before Chandler's fight with Ferguson, adopted uh, their second child. So I know that Chandler was looking to compete later in the year, and that looks like all signs are pointing to Madison Square Garden against Dustin Poirier. No official announcement on that yet, but it seems like that's the way things are trending. Amazing that Dustin Poirier hasn't fought at all this year. But uh, Tony Ferguson moving back to welterweight. He's talked about that for many years. This is a good matchup because Li Xinglang is a really solid fighter. But if you look at the level of competition that Tony Ferguson's fought, well, I think Li Xinglang is phenomenal. I still think that this is probably, I guess, the lowest caliber opponent that he's fought in some time. No disrespect to Li Xinglang because, again, he's a ranked fighter in welterweight. It does bother me. This is the second time this is happening in Vegas, where Tony Ferguson's the co-main event against somebody other than who he should be facing. He should be facing Nate Diaz. You got a welterweight fight. You got Nate Diaz and Ferguson on the same card. They're they're throwing Diaz to the wolf, so to speak. And you got Ferguson in the cage right before Diaz, same weight class. The same thing happened back when Ferguson fought Pettis. You had Habib and, and McGregor in the main event. So you had uh, Ferguson and Habib, the fight that kept falling through the cracks. They were healthy on the same night, in the same building, one fight apart from each other. It's not that Ferguson and Diaz are the same thing as Ferguson and Habib, but I think more people would be interested in seeing Ferguson versus Diaz, especially Ferguson coming off these losses. That's the fight to make. But I understand. I understand the promotional thought behind this, but... Like... Why not do Shemaya versus Burns too? Just rematch those guys. Put I don't know. Put Shemaya against somebody else. But uh, that's what we're getting. So, but Ferguson versus Diaz would be such a fun fight. The lead up would be great. Everything would be. It would be a very strange lead up, I'm sure. But uh, you know, when you have every have Tony Ferguson, it's always weird, weird times. That's what makes Tony, Tony. So that's what we've got for UFC 279. That's an awesome... Uh, those are two pretty solid additions. It's not the best card top to bottom, but uh, I think that where we had a lot of fears because you had like 13 or 14 fights already announced, and none of them were co-main event caliber, really. I guess the, the next best fight on that card would have been like Kute Laba against Walker, which in no world should be a pay-per-view co-main event. So that's uh, it's good that they added those two fights because I was worried about it. I I was like on the fence about going to cover this event because there was just it seemed like there was you know no meat on the bone. But uh, now it's a, a serviceable pay per view. 
I'm uh, I'm happy about those two additions. I think that Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez is a fantastic fight too. Really looking to see how that one shakes out. We've got the UFC in Paris this weekend. The first time they've done an event in France. And it's headlined by the native son of France, Cyril Gunn, former interim heavyweight champion of the world. And he's taking on Tai Tuivasa. Gunn is a massive favorite in this one. Minus 620. I mean, is, is he, should he be that big of a favorite? I know when I'm doing my uh, my edge picks for this week, I will be looking at uh, Gone wins in round four at plus 1,300. Gone wins in round five at plus uh, 1,400. I think uh, he. I think if he it does get a finish, it's going to be late in this fight. I think Tuivasa. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble finding his his range and his distance against a guy, a tactician in Gone. It's something that Tuivasa has had problems with in the past, and uh, this is kind of a nightmare matchup for him. To be honest, I understand why Gone is that big of a favorite, but we're talking about heavyweights here. Tai Tuivasa has been on an absolute roll. And you got the co-main event, Robert Whitaker, minus 245. Marvin Vittori, plus 186. This is probably where it should be lined at, but uh, I might be taking a look at Vittori by decision at plus 350 because I think that that's probably his best path if he does win. That being said, I, I think that Whitaker at this point is probably the superior fighter. I just, I just, I've always thought a lot of Marvin Vittori's fight IQ. I, I, I lost a little bit of that when he fought Izzy. I thought that his fight IQ was... Uh, I just thought his, his approach in that fight was not great. I, th- I thought that he could have had a better game plan and better execution. But this fight's going to tell us a lot about both of these guys and where they're at in their career because Marvin Vittori is not an easy out. He's got one of the best chins in MMA. And he just will not go away. He's not an easy guy to take down. So I think Whitaker's speed is really going to be his biggest advantage in this one. But Vittori... He's a solid fighter, man. I, I mean, I, I I would have a lot of trouble betting on Whitaker at that price. I'd probably bet, like, in a parlay or something. Like, fight starts round three, throw that in a parlay. Because I think this fight goes to a decision, like, 95% of the time. Because both these guys are just so good. You never know when an injury can strike, but who knows. That's where, I, th- I think that's what the, the 5% of the time is. You can get a finish maybe 4% of the time and a weird freak injury maybe 1% of the time. Charles Jordan, minus 150. He's turning it around relatively quickly after his loss to Shane Burgos. Taking on Nathaniel Wood, who also fought recently against Charles Rosa. Jordan, I think, is actually going to have a size advantage here. I thought Nathaniel Wood looked kind of small at 45. I understand why Jordan is a minus 150 favorite here. I think that's probably about the right number. And I think I'm going to be taking him. I might parlay him, actually, with that fight starts round three in Whitaker Vittori. He had about plus 120, something along those lines. Alessio DiCirico taking on Roman Kopilov. Kopilov looking great in his last fight. Fight's basically even money at this point. Slight favorite, of, according to our friends at FanDuel, is Alessio DiCirico. is minus 120. Comeback on Kopilov, minus 106. Don't really have a strong read on this one. I always like looking at the Kopilov by submission. Kopilov by submission is plus 3,400. I will be recommending that. That's a crazy line. Am I thinking of the wrong guy? I am thinking of the wrong guy. I will not be recommending that. I'm getting, I'm getting him confused with Roman Delizze. 
So, disregard that. That will not be a recommended play. <laughs> um, I would actually probably go with the Dishariko side. I would. I haven't been all that impressed with Roman Kopilov. I, I had the. I had the wrong guy in my head. So. Yeah, I'll probably go with the the, the Shirikos, and I might even recommend to play on him at that price. Another tough out. Nazrat Hakparast minus two twenty five. Come back on John the Bull Macdessie plus one seventy two. Another Canadian on the card, alongside Charles Jordan, two Quebecois fighters. Nazrat Hakparast, I'm surprised is this small of a favorite, honestly, but I. He just has not looked good in recent fights. But uh, when he looks good, he looks good. Just uh, recently, that has not been the case. Can't tell you anything about uh, these next two fights. I, I know Ferreziem had been cut, and they brought him back for this card uh, against Mikhail Figlak, who I, you know, I thought Ferreziem was a, a solid fighter. Looked terrible in his last fight against Terence McKinney, but uh, have to look into his opponent. Don't know much about him. William Gomi versus Jarno Ehrens. This fight just got added. Don't know anything about these two guys, so can't can't give you much uh, there. Khalid Taha minus one fifty. Christian Quinones plus one eighteen. Don't have a read on this one yet either. Stephanie Egger minus three forty. Come back on Eileen Perez plus two fifty. I mean, this is one of those spots where I, I would look at Perez. I, I don't again as somebody who I need to look into a little bit. The videos that I've seen of her, she's fighting seems like far inferior competition. Edgar on a short uh, turnaround, coming off that loss to uh, Myra Bueno Silva. Thankfully, did not get injured as a result of uh, that whole situation. But uh, quick turnaround, big favorite, short notice, <laughs> volatile weight class. Probably just take this blind bet the underdog if uh, I can do some research on uh, Aileen Perez and see what what her deal is. Um, Abus Magomedov finally making his UFC debut, hopefully. Knock on wood. Minus 260 taking on Dustin Stoltzfus. They have not done Stoltzfus any favors in terms of who they're putting him up against. Just keep putting him up against all these solid grapplers. Stoltzfus looked good in his last fight against Dwight Grant, but uh, Dwight Grant hasn't looked very good in a while, so hard to gauge this one. I understand why Magomedov is the favorite. Based on the the Magomed stats alone, he should win this fight like 85% of the time. But uh, we have not seen Abus Magomedov, so we don't know if he's an outlier yet for the uh, the Magometer that I have put together, where uh, anybody with the name Magomed in their name has uh, basically an 85% win percentage in the UFC. Benoit Saint-Denis returns minus 180 against Gabriel Miranda. Again, I need to look a little bit more into Miranda. And uh, Nasruddin Imavov, minus 265, Joaquin Buckley plus 200. I like Imavov there, but that's a pretty steep price to pay for him. I'm curious what the sub prop pays on this one. That's not out yet. I might look at Imovov by submission. We'll see. We will see. That is uh, this weekend's card in Paris, France. Now we got some uh, interviews to get to. Of course, we got a lot of uh, fighters on this weekend's card, and I got to speak to a good amount of them, which uh, I'm always happy about. So, let's start off with the two main event combatants. You got Tai Tuivasa and Cyril Gan. We'll start with uh, the former interim champion Gan, followed by Tai Tuivasa, and then of course we've got Robert Whitaker and the Canadian Charles Jordan. So, let's get to those interviews. 
right now. We'll start off with Cyril Gaon, followed by Taito Ivasa, Robert Whitaker, and Charles Jordan. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it. The UFC is finally uh, coming to France, and we know what that means. Cyril Gaon's got to headline the card, taking on Taito Ivasa in the main event. The UFC, obviously a big promotion. You've seen fight weeks in France now that it's become legalized there with uh, the Eras promotion that you work with, and of course your coach, Fernand Lopez, runs. What's the vibe like compared to that when you look at the UFC being in Paris this week? Yeah, it's a little bit different. This is a, this is a first time for the UFC, and uh, yes, UFC is the best league today uh, in the world, so of course it's different. And uh, the feeling, the feeling uh, is really great. Really great. I'm really happy. I'm really happy to be in Paris, and I feel more and more uh, day after day is, is better and better <laughs> because uh, at first uh, uh, it's going to be really crazy for the fan, for the fighter, for the French fighter uh, to fight uh, against uh, the, his audience, against the, his, his friend, his family. So this is a little bit special, and uh, and because it's, uh, this is historic, you see, to have my name, gay, first event. UFC, Paris, I read something, you see? So, yes, I'm happy. You'll be keeping that poster on your wall for a long time, the, the, the okay. headlining poster. I keep my first poster with uh, Jairzinho because it was my first event. And the second poster is going to be this one. Well, it's a historic event, so I certainly, you know, nobody's going to be able to take this away from you. People talk about the first ever UFC card in France. Your name is the, the first name on the, the poster, so that must be a pretty special feeling for you. Exactly. This is really special. And uh, like I said, I'm going to write something uh, in my life, you see. So, yes, I'm happy for that. Taitu Ivasa, your opponent. This is an interesting matchup because unlike a lot of people in the UFC, he seemed pretty fearless in terms of stepping into the fire. You know, if you're going to be throwing punches at him in, in your preferred distance, it seems like he is somebody who's not going to be afraid to close the distance on you. So if you prepared for that kind of attack on Saturday night? Yes, he likes to go forward. Uh, uh, he he, he, he likes to go forward, so that's why he stayed really dangerous and more than uh, because a lot of people compare him with Derek Lewis, but it's not exactly the same. He likes he like to go ahead, to make pressure, and jump in uh, on his opponent. So, yes, uh, I must to be careful on, on this guy of this guy because he can land more punches, he has some precision, he is quick, he has some cardio, even he's, uh, he's heavy, he has he, he have the cardio, so yeah, he's going, to be, he's going to be a good matchup. You're a very big favorite for this fight. Uh, I don't know if you look at the betting lines, but you're about a 7-1 to one favorite here. Were you surprised to see that you were this big of a favorite against someone like Ty? No, because I can understand them this on the paper but uh, this is a paper you see uh, when you look at the French team on the paper was the best in the world and uh, this is not a disrespect for another country but imagine we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna play again uh, a little country everything is possible you see and yeah uh, and you saw this already so this is exactly the same for a fight you see uh, so when I go ahead in the cage, it's 50-50, 50-50. How have you been feeling since your, your loss earlier this year to uh, Francis Ngannou as a championship bout? 
you look back at that, there, I'm sure you learned a ton from watching that fight over and over again. But uh, what, what kind of feelings do you have about that fight looking back at it uh, so far, uh, you know, so many months later? Um, we're, learning, uh, we're learning a lot. Uh, this is had on my life, on my, uh, a really big experience for me. It was a really big experience uh, against an exper uh, a guy really uh, experimented, uh, Francis Ngannou. He did a really great fight. He did a perfect fight. Because I think I was not better than him, but he was not better this day, but he did a, a perfect fight, you see. So I did some mistake. He did a really nice sh uh, choice. So that's why... Uh, he won this. He won this night. So we learned. Yes, we did some mistake. The the, the the people thought a lot of about wrestling. I'm not sure about that, but uh, anyway, today, after after seven seven months, uh, uh, we're thinking a lot about this fight and uh, what we want to do uh, on my career and what is my motivation. And we understand something. We must push myself a little bit more than that, more than that. And when uh, when I say uh, push myself, is is in the training. You see, I must do more because I'm a lazy I'm a lazy guy. I work hard, but I'm a little bit lazy guy. You see, because that's why I'm not really stressed. That, that that's why I'm not really this kind of guy because I'm okay with the situation every time. Every time this is look a little bit easy. I work harder, but this is look a little bit easy every time, every time. But now I'm in the top, and I must to to, to find the, the the good motivation. Whenever I see you, you've got a big smile on your face. You're singing. You're you're having a great time. Even at the Eris uh, weigh-ins, I see you standing in the background. You've always got that same smile on your face all the time. Going against Francis in that fight, do you feel like you weren't loose enough? That you were obviously there's some personal hostilities there. You guys have trained together. There's a lot of baggage going into a fight like that. Do you feel like maybe you weren't loose enough going into that fight? I'm sure it's, even right now it seems like you you feel a little bit loose going into this fight against Ty, and I think that that helps you because you you know how good you are, and I think that that's always. What's going to set you up for success? Tu pas sûr? Tu relâché? Tu quand tu es sur reste tu souris quand tu as la pose tu souris en général tu es souriant. Lui pense que ça t'aide. Est-ce que tu penses que ça t'aide de relâcher? No, this is me. This is myself. I'm always like that with a smile. That's why we make this choice for the nickname, bon gamin. This is really me, good kid. And uh, yes, this is me, but this is my life to, to, to keep the smile. Even uh, if you have something bad in your life, everything is okay. You are healthy, uh, your, your family is healthy, so everything is okay, you see. So yesterday, yesterday I lost my fight, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm young. I had, I'm young in my career, so everything is possible. But I must work, I must do some. Uh, some uh, some changement, uh, so, uh, that's it. And I mean, what's what's the the downside right now? You're you're headlining a, an event in your hometown, right? I mean, even though you lost the title, <laughs> look how good life still is for Cyril Gunn. 
C'est en gros même si j'ai perdu. Non, 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 this is exactly that. This is exactly that. My life is beautiful. I'm really happy and I, I'm, my, my feeling is just okay, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. You see, I make the choice to change to change my life. When I started the, the, the Muay Thai there seven years ago, I stopped it to selling some furniture in the shop. And I, and, and I had the choice to go in the sport. I did three years. After that, uh, I, I met Fernando Lopez. It, he, had, he, he, he asked me to change the sport, the Muay Thai, uh, for, the, for the MMA. I did it. They look at me after four years. After just four years. So yes, I'm lucky. Everything is fine. Yeah, it's definitely pretty remarkable to see uh, how far you've come in such a long time. Now, you're not looking beyond this weekend, but as members of the media, we always look beyond this weekend. It looks like John Jones is going to fight at the end of this year. Nobody knows against who. It doesn't seem like Francis is healthy enough to go. If you win this weekend, is that a fight you would want? Is to face John Jones in December in Las Vegas? If that was made available to you, one hundred percent. This is makes sense. Uh, I just, I just losing my my last fight again. The the Mal Alpha Francis Ngano, the champion, uh, and it was really close. So, of course, I got my chance to go back uh, for this. So yes, if tomorrow I win again Tiraza, this is make really sense. And uh, and uh, and yes, of course, I'm here for the belt uh, against. Uh, I don't know who is going to be the winner against Stipe and, and Jones, but yes, I'm the next one. Uh, I don't even know if it's going to be Stipe and Jones. Nobody seems to have any idea who Jones is facing. And when I asked Dana White about it, it seemed like it was very unclear. Of course, okay, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm here. Yeah, 100%. Well, that's the part I, I want. This. That's like the best I, chess I, match you can see at heavyweight. Exactly, I'm looking for that now. I told you, uh, I got another motivation and I know what I want. And today I want to go back to the bed. All right, Cyril, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. It's yourself, Tai Tuivasa, the main event, first ever event in France, and you're the top name on the billboard. So congratulations on that, and we look forward to more of your success in the future. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. The man from the area ventures to an area yet to be explored by the UFC, Paris, France, first card in that region. How excited are you to be basically ringing in a brand new region against somebody who's fighting on their home turf? Yeah, very exciting. Um... Very uh, privileged to be a part of uh, history and, and and to do it against the Frenchmen themselves is uh, pretty cool. What's the city been like for you so far? Uh, it's been great. Uh, it's been uh, some great weather. I haven't got to, to see too much. Just been um, chilling around the hotel and keep myself busy. But um, I'll definitely head out after and, and have, a, have an adventure and, and see what's about. I like your approach for fighting. It seems like you don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's like, I'm going in, I'm fighting another human being, and that's kind of the way you look at it. Uh, how, how do you have that approach? And do you feel like it's different from most fighters when it comes to how you actually think about it on the day of the event? Uh, I think it's different. I've seen some fighters that they look like they don't really want to be there. But uh, to me, this is my job, and this is a job, and... That's kind of how I look at it, and um, 
yeah, this is what I do to earn my money. And that's really, I don't look into it much more. <laughs> so when you're walking to the cage, what's your, you know, what's your mindset like? Are you just like, okay, well, this is just going to be another fight? Like, it's that's the way you look at it? Or do you think about tactics? Do you think about adjustments and things like that? Or do you just kind of let it come to you as it happens? No, I feel like that's where I, I feel most at home. Uh, you know, when I'm here in the crowd and obviously my walkout music, I'm just like, oh, well, this is um, this is all that hard time I spend in the gym, and this is uh, this is how I get to express myself. And at the end of the day, I think of it as uh, another man trying to hurt me or trying to do something to me, and I need to do it to him first. So no, I don't really look into things much. In life, in general, you know what I mean. I I enjoy the moment, and uh, I really just feel blessed to to be doing what I love for a living. Now I know you've used Celine Dion's music to walk out before. That's French Canadian. Anything with a little bit of a French twist on it for this week? Uh, actually, yeah. Funny you say that. I actually have a little something, something for the for the French fans. So. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what that is because I want to be as surprised as everybody else when it happens. <laughs> Let's just say it's a banger, like always, like always. Well, I'm greatly looking forward to that. That's that's one of my favorite things about the Tai Tuivasa fights is the unpredictable music that you walk out to. Um, not to mention, of course, the fights themselves are always exciting. I mean, look at your last fight with Derek Lewis. That must have been a a stressful fight. Did it feel stressful at the time? Because it, it was stressful to watch. No, I, I found it really fun. Uh, I think the more challenging the fights are, the more I, I kind of get excited. Uh, and, and really, I, lo I love the fight business because I challenge myself. You know what I mean? And um, what better way to do it against another another human that's uh, that's been that's been practicing or, or trying to do the same thing you are? And uh, I love it. Uh, that fight was really fun for me. Uh, against an exciting opponent uh, you know he's the knockout king and someone I've, I've watched and, and and looked up to for a long time and um yeah to, to, to test myself against him and come out on top was was pretty sick now surreal gone is a totally different test very different style of fighter uh, one of the best in the world at what he does are you going to try to take him out of that game plan and get him away from doing what he does is that kind of what the approach is for this one uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I want to. Uh, he's 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 the best at what he does, and and he's a different breed of heavyweight. But uh, I feel like uh, I'm a different breed as well. And that, that I think that's the great thing about fighting is, uh, no matter what is what on paper, at the end of the day, you got to rock up, you got to get in there, and um, we're going to battle it out. You did this training camp in Dubai. Uh, who who was part of this training camp, and what made you decide to do it there? I've done my last uh, five camps out of Dubai. Uh, obviously, uh, when when COVID uh, hit, Australia got hit bad, and and uh, a lot of the rules were kind of you're going to prevent me from fighting or, or, and keep moving forward. So I made the move to Dubai. I got a, a you know great team there. My coach Sean Sullivan's there, uh, and I just fly boys in that I need to work with. Uh, I've had a great, great camp. This camp, uh, I feel like I'm prepared, and yeah, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to get drunk <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> I thought you'd been doing camps in Thailand. Is that where you live most of the year, and you do, you know, mostly road work and, and conditioning there? 
Uh, no, so my first time I went back to Thailand was this year in the past four years because of COVID as well. Uh, I've been in Dubai, but um, I went over to Thailand to start my camp off this, this camp. I was uh, I was eating a bit, uh, eating and drinking a bit too much <laughs> when I went back to Australia. So I I needed a little uh, little fat camp to get the kilos off, and uh, yeah, it was good to go back to Thailand. I really I really love Thailand. Since your last fight, I believe Tyson Pedro, your brother-in-law, has fought twice. Um, how have you enjoyed watching him return? It seems like he's back to his original form and and looking really really solid, you know, in his last two outings. Really happy for Tyson. Uh, I knew he would uh, he would get back to this point. You know what I mean? Uh, poor fella had to go and overcome some you know some some dark times, and um, it's just really good to see him back and doing well and and back where he belongs and uh, earning money for his family. So that's that's you know this is what we do for a living, and, and I knew he'd be back to where he is, um, and he's definitely got a, a big career. And we're going to do it together, and I think it's really cool. Speaking of earning money, the two of you have gone into business now. You're the official, I guess, Australian beer of the UFC. Uh, Drink West, I believe, is the name of the company. So tell me a little bit about that venture and how quickly it's growing. Yeah, uh, Drink West. Um, we both we both own Drink West, and we started out, and uh, it's taken a little bit, but it's definitely grown some legs, and um, we've we've been fortunate enough to team up with the UFC of, of Australia, and uh, we got a brewery opening uh, late October, which um, will give us a, ca- a capacity to, to to brew more beer and, and get rid of more beer, and uh, Aussies and beer go hand in hand, you know what I mean? So it's <laughs> and uh, I love beer, so it's great industry to be. <laughs> Yeah, how thrilled would you have been at like age eighteen if somebody would have said you're going to be a very successful fighter and have your own beer, your own brewery, and drink beer for a living? And yeah, how happy would you, I know you've done a lot of work? It doesn't come that easy, but how happy would you have been at age eighteen if somebody told you that, that was your future? Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to make eighteen, so <laughs> it's definitely a blessing and definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I that I, I hold high and I'm really proud of you know, in myself. It's really cool. Well, congratulations on all your success, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of it this Saturday night. It's the main event, UFC Paris. Yourself, Cyril Gunn, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Take care. Robert Whitaker helps ring in the UFC's debut in the beautiful country of France. He's in the co-main event against Marvin Vittori. We're very excited to see you back in action, Rob. Now, tell me about what this camp's been like coming off of a, an incredible performance against uh, Israel Adesanya that was a, a hotly contested title fight. Yeah, no, the camp's been good. You know, once the injury healed, which is why we had to push back the first time, once that healed, it, it was smooth sailing. It was just hard work, another camp in the bank, and around the corner from making weight, having some food and, and earning some money. I was talking to somebody the other day, and... Uh, or I saw an interview with somebody. They said, oh, Whitaker's talking about moving to 205 now. But you, this was something you just kind of casually said during an interview. I'm guessing that's probably not anytime soon. You're looking at middleweight for the foreseeable future? Yeah, for the foreseeable future, for sure. I feel like it's been blown out of context uh, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a big way. I just uh, mentioned that, like, yeah, I'll go up one day. Just when that is, it's uh, who knows, you know. I'm, I'm doing quite well in the middleweight division still. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm enjoying myself. When 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 the, the middle sizes get too small, that's when that's when I probably have to go up. 
Well, I wanted to clarify it with you because the guys at Submission Radio, I love those guys, but they were like, you talked about one day moving to light heavyweight, and you said, yeah, yeah, maybe one day, and then everybody's like, yeah, Whitaker's moving to light heavyweight, but that's, that's not really what it's all about. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, like, it's something that I, uh, you know, I've thought about, and so I'm still thinking, like, I'm not th- actually thinking about moving to light heavyweight, but I, if I'm going to move up, it's it'd be light heavyweight. Um, and that's where I'll finish my career if I move up. But right now, that's that's neither here nor there. It's like I'm doing quite well in, in, in the middleweight division and making the weight quite easily and performing there. You fought a lot of tough guys in the middleweight division. Marvin Vittori, of course, is no exception. This is a guy who's never been finished. He's always in your face. He's very good everywhere. What's it like preparing for somebody who's such a well-rounded fighter like Vittori? Yeah, you know, it's uh, you just need to you need to train with the same grit that he has in his fights. You need to, you need to train with the same tenacity and endurance that he does. And uh, I've done that the whole camp. That's 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 how I've been training. I've been grinding. And I've been, I've been ready, you know, for a firefight for 15 minutes. Do you feel a lot freer having not – I mean, you haven't been the champion for some time, but when you were the champion, it was hard to get a good interview out of Robert Whitaker, but it feels like you're a lot looser, a lot more free. I don't know if you've just enjoyed doing media more. You've gone into podcasting. What, what was the change? What was the change that made you a, a lot more approachable? I don't know if, if, you, if you realize this, but this is something that I've noticed over the years. Yeah, no, definitely. is. uh no, I, after I lost the belt, I had to reassess a lot of things. I had to find my love for the game, the sport, and the journey that is a, that accompanies it. You know, and um, a big thing was like I never enjoyed fight weeks, never enjoyed media, and it's just it was just me dragging my feet to everything. And not only was I not enjoying it, the the people interviewing me and doing their jobs weren't weren't enjoying it, and the, the my fans watching weren't getting good content. So. You know, with that mind shift, I've just been happy and enjoying everything. I've reached a point now where, you know, I've, I want to make it good. I want, I want, I want to make it uh, fun for you. I want to make it fun for me. I want to, I want to enjoy everything. Well, i got to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I really do appreciate that. When, when you were champion, I remember going to interview you, and I was like, oh, this guy's going to just give me nothing today. But uh, since then, <laughs> it's, been like, it's been a great ride, honestly. Like, I, I know that I'm going to get full transparency from you, full honesty, and I think uh, as somebody who covers the sport, that really does go a long way in terms of building a rapport with somebody. No, thank you, mate. It, honestly, it has made a difference. If that's one thing I can pass on to all the younger fighters that don't, don't give as much effort as they should. You, you should. It's, uh, it gets easier and it gets, you start to enjoy it. You, know, you, you loosen up and it's a good way to get, it's a good way to get your message out there. You know? I mean, I can also see from your perspective, you were a younger guy at the time. You're in your 20s. I think at the time you probably had three young kids. So I'm sure sleep was probably coming out of premium back then and probably felt like you had you know, more important things to do than talk to folks like me. No, it's not that. It's just that the... Because the the whole game itself, the fight game, was really hard for me to... I just wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying the camps. I wasn't enjoying the fight game, the fight weeks, the cuts, the weigh, the weights, the diets. Like, I wasn't enjoying a lot of a lot of the a lot of different aspects in the game. And they were all having a cumulative effect on everything else. So, like, media or interviews were just on the back end of me already grumpy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, what gave you that new perspective. I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past, about how you really changed your outlook on the sport. 
And do you feel like that also helps you as a fighter? Because if you're enjoying yourself leading up to the fight, you're probably enjoying yourself more in the cage as well. Definitely, definitely. I, my, one, of my, one of my biggest things is that a happy Rob's a dangerous one. You know? and, um, I'm really happy right now. I'm really happy with how everything's gone, with, my, with the journey, with you know, outside the octagon, inside the octagon, on the mats, off the mats. I'm just uh, I'm in a really good place. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the ride for this work. And there's a lot of that about acceptance. I mean, if, if your career ended tomorrow, You'd still be one of the most decorated middleweights in the history of the promotion. You're, you're a champion. You know, wherever you go from here, you're kind of playing with house money at this point in time. And it, it probably eases, you know, the burden of having to accomplish certain things that you've already accomplished. Yeah, definitely. You know, there is a level of, um, of, of being satisfied with a lot of, the, a lot of what I've done. But there's also... Yeah, there's also... I guess it's because I've had to have really looked within myself and looked, you know, searched inside, like understood who I am at, at, at this current moment and just really understanding it all and just understanding what I'm doing, why I'm doing it all, just getting my priorities straight and my head screwed on sort of thing. It's been announced now that Israel's going to be facing, uh, I guess, kind of one of his older nemesis from the uh, kickboxing world. Uh, Alex Pereira, what do you think of that particular matchup, and how do you think Israel matches up? I don't know if you've seen Pereira in person. This guy's a, a massive individual. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good matchup. Like it's a good fight to have. I think Pereira has a very good chance just because he's huge. He's like, you know, that's one of the, well, that's one of Israel's biggest weapons and advantages is that he's so long and rangy, and that that just aids him in being one of the best defensive strikers in the game. Pereira can negate a lot of that just by being the tall, uh, being a tall guy, having long arms. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm very curious to see how it goes because the the small gloves will add a very unique element to this fight. And I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I'm going to give you an over-under. To, if, if you were going to Vegas and there was an over-under, 30 seconds of that fight takes place on the ground, would you take the over or the under? I don't know what that means. I'm sorry, mate. Do you think it'll be over 30 seconds or under 30 seconds of total time that that particular fight is spent on the ground over the course of five rounds? Oh, I'd have to say under. So, you, yeah, you think it's going to take you know, place entirely on the feet? Because I know, I know Israel's talking about being a more well-rounded mixed martial artist than Alex, but... I don't think if other people aren't able to take Alex down, I'm not sure if Israel's going to be able to. Yeah, it's it's two kickboxes. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna see a kickboxing fight with small gloves. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you put two wrestlers in there, it turns into a striking match, and if you put two strikers in there, it's a striking match. I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, it's yeah. Well, in saying that though, like you you have seen. It's never usually a pure striker that adopts a takedown, um, adopts like a, a wrestling um, attack in a striker versus striker match. You know, it's usually like a MMA artist sort of thing that adopts it. Like when we saw Cyril and Nagano fight, you know, Nagano is the one that was um, pushing the, the takedowns because he's more mixed martial arts, you know, you go around, you don't, you don't usually see two high level, just strikers mixing it up like that. 
The only time I can remember it, it was in Bellator. It was like Heather Hardy against, I think her name is Anna Jolaton, and they're like top boxers. They put them against each other. It became a grappling fight, and it was uh, it was kind of horrific to watch, to be honest. As somebody just says that <laughs> from a viewer standpoint, it was it was not a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. Always appreciate your time. It's the co-main event of uh, this Saturday's bout in Paris, France. Yourself, Marvin Vittori. Uh, always appreciate speaking with you, and look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me. Always good to be on. The French-Canadian goes to France. It's the first ever UFC event to take place in France. This was your wish. You wanted to fight on this card. How happy were you to find out that there was a spot for you? Oh, I was very happy. Like uh, I, I read a comment on Twitter that made me laugh. Uh, uh, there's a French guy who said, I hope Charles Jodin is going to be in Paris after if he, co- if he comes out unscattered with his fight with Burgos. And uh, there was a comment underneath that says, nobody ever get out of a Shane Burgos fight unscattered. So, yeah, here I am, unscattered, no injuries, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it probably took a toll on you and you had to recover for a couple of weeks, but that's probably about it. Is that, that basically all it was? Yeah, every time I fight, I never carry too much big injuries. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't know, I healed quite fast. I'm very happy about that. My hands, my foot, my knees, whatever. I never had surgeries, never had big uh, issue with my, my physicality. So, yeah, I'm not injured, ready to fight in Paris. And what did you think of the opponent, Nathaniel Wood, uh, when you found out that that's who you were going to be facing? Yeah, I told them anybody. And they told me we got uh, this, uh, they call him the prospect. So when I, I saw him uh, fight Charles Rosa, I thought he was younger. I thought he was like 24, 25, because he doesn't have the... The, the big physicality that I'm used to fight when it comes to those 45ers. And then I realized it was a 35er, what the layoff, now fought Rosa, everything. It was a quite interesting uh, to, to, to study his path and everything. Good matchup overall. I'm not expecting a stand-up war that, because that's what I expected with Shane, with uh, Vanata, and uh, all these guys are trying to take me down and hold me there. So I'm expecting uh, me pressuring and him trying to tie up uh, the match, probably. Was this enough time for you to study this opponent? I just need to know if you're a righty or a lefty. I think the only fighter that was very hard to study was Vanata because he changed every fight. So he can be a wrestler, he can be a jiu-jitsu guy, or he can be a, a kickboxer. Like He changed every fight. Uh, when we saw uh, Nathaniel Wood, my, my coach Cyril called me and was like, He's a righty, kickboxing, doesn't change a lot of stance, doesn't go for takedown. Like it, it's not a style that we're not used to. Makes me think of a little bit of Alex Morgan, but a uh, little bit smaller and uh, uh, faster. Speaking of Alex Morgan, unfortunately lost yesterday on Contender Series. Did you get a chance to watch it? I stayed up. I, I We couldn't sleep last night. So, uh, yeah, we watched it, uh, me and my coaches uh, and my brother Louis. We were curious uh, to see how he would fare and... Uh, Got clipped. It's it's quite unfortunate uh, in terms of uh, Canadians uh, joining the UFC, because I mean he's a very capable guy, and sometimes I get I see Canadians reaching the UFC, and I'm like, you guys are going to see this is a different level, and uh, they get to contenders or they get to UFC, and then boom, they get completely annihilated. So yeah, UFC is a, is a I mean, a lot of people were pointing fingers at me. I'm not talking about Alex himself, but a lot of people were like, oh, Charles, I write to the UFC, and and he's not doing as as great as we thought he would. Then I'm like, yeah, try try to reach this level. You, you'll see there's a lot of sharks, and uh, 
now you're you're just a you're not a big fish anymore you're 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 in the big tank with the big names with the big guys so yeah quite unfortunate for alex at the end of the day but it's uh no time no time to have sentiment uh he he will find his way back or he will quit that's his choice well you kind of had a, a luxury right because you started very young and even at a young age, you were facing guys that were UFC caliber. I mean, TJ Laramie made it to the UFC. Alex Morgan, we just saw him on Contender Series, which to me means he's ready for the UFC. I mean, I think what the problem with yeah. Alex was he had that long layoff because of the pandemic. It made it tough for him to stay active. But you kind Also, we, 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 it, of course, it's pandemic-wise, but also he wasn't active when TKO was right there in front of him. When I, when I beat him, I think he had still a year of TKO, which he didn't use use TKO was the best platform but it's that it's something that fighters does a lot is fight once in a while they have this setback and then they they're gonna sit on that and like train for a year before they come back I've never been that guy I, if I lose uh, you're gonna see me back quite soon just to get better and get stronger and uh, reach uh, yeah, this crazy ladder of uh, UFC featherweights. I see you're following in the footsteps of Charles Oliveira and a lot of other fighters go out by going blonde. Ah. So tell me about this transition to uh, becoming a blonde fighter. Like uh, Caitlin Jukagi and her nickname is Blonde Fighter, but she's like a legitimate blonde fighter. You're going the way of Charles Oliveira with the, uh, the hair dye. Yeah, yeah, I'm reaching uh, new levels. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I just like reinventing myself every fight. Last time I had the big beard, the shave hair and everything. I just like reinventing. It makes uh, a new adventure, something fun. And uh, people, uh, when I did it, were like, oh, you're going on the blonde win streak. I'm like, yeah, I like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm very tired of, uh, I, I think the last fight with Shane, I, I should have won. At the end of the day, I won't spend too much energy uh, on it. But uh, like, uh, I would have been on a three fight win streak and uh Everything would go according to to plan uh, after that uh, that big Arosa loss. So yeah, I like the blonde win streak uh, name. So um, uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm gonna start one. Well, one thing that you like is to be scared of opponents. We talk about this every time we have this conversation. So Nathaniel Wood is he a scary opponent? Uh, he he uh, I'm I'm more scared of underperforming. That's what scares me about that fight. Uh, I don't want to underperform. I know he's he's quick, and people have a tendency to think the bigger the man, the harder the punch. But quick punches can do a toll on your chin if you don't defend them properly. So uh, I'm afraid of a lot of of, of uh, scenarios, of course. Uh, but uh, in terms of the man, I met him and. I cannot fight Shane Burgos, who is a fucking animal, and then see this little English kid. I just saw him like an hour ago. Super nice. We had a nice in, in interaction. But I look at his frame. I'm like, this guy is a 135er or what? Quite small, not big arms, not big legs. But he's going to be speedy and speed kills. So I need to be careful about that. Well, you look back at the Kulabau fight. You said the same thing before you fought him. You saw him in the lobby. You know, he didn't didn't uh, didn't impress you all that much in terms of his physicality. So, uh, yeah. Now, is it about being afraid of underperforming? Like, is that kind of your new way of getting ramped up for a fight like that? Where if the opponent itself doesn't scare you, you have to look at um, the the scenario of what what it would feel like to lose. Absolutely. I think uh, the, the only guys that I would have these jitters and these fear would be Max Holloway, uh, and uh, Edson Barbosa. Other than that, most of them they got more scared of underperforming, of holding me against the cage. Like, uh, 
trying to win more than trying to beat me up. So it's going to be hard as I'm as I just faced Shane Burgos and turned him into a wrestler and uh, I was hitting him with punches and he was trying to hit me and I didn't feel any anything that was dangerous. It's going to be hard to feel that same uh, 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 fear of a man. But there there's a lot of very good featherweights. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in terms of warriors who 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 are really really there more for your head than for your your the win i think uh, there's a lack of them and uh, now my f- biggest fear is to underperform and i need to to have this mentality uh uh as i'm climbing the ladder All right, so who are five guys in the featherweight division that still scare you give me five names of people that would would keep you up at night if you were lined up against them uh toporia uh, Barbosa, Max Holloway, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, there's no name that comes to mind. Most of them are mostly guys who want to win more than anything. They want to push you against the cage. Like, let's say Arnold Allen is like a 9-0, and uh, I wouldn't be scared of anything uh, more than him trying to win, more than trying to fight. Uh, the like... Even the jiu-jitsu kid who's, who's young like me, uh, Bryce Mitchell, it would, be, it would be me trying to push him away and him trying to, to grab a hold of me. So that is not very scary in general. So yeah, those three names on top of my head would be the, the one that I, I would have chills uh, uh, crossing them. Volkanovski, Korean Zombie, those guys aren't on the list? Zombie would. Uh, Volkanovski is fighting more in a defensive type of way. And I, I, I'm losing sight on Volkanovski because even though he's the champ, he's so dominant that he's not going to stay around when, I'm, when it's going to be my time to, to show myself in the top five, top three, top two. I don't think he will be there anymore. I'm think, I'm think, I think I'm, a, I'm still in a, a growth path. And uh, I'm not in the title uh, talk or whatever for for maybe the next two years. So, uh, yeah, so Volkanovski is not on my mind. I think this man is too big for 145 and he's going to move up and accomplish many things. But, yeah, he's never been part of my my mind, of my visualization. Have you had the chance to enjoy France yet? Have you been to France before this as well? No, I did not. Uh, but today, yeah, we went to Large de Triomphe. We went to La Tour Eiffel. Uh, there, there's many beautiful things. Uh, fans are super nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the thing. Uh, I'm very light right now. I prefer. To, I tried a different sort of diet. I tried a carnivore diet before I, I uh, in during this camp, which was uh, quite amazing. But right now, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. I, I'm just losing a lot of weight. I, I'm all like I was around 160 during the fight week with Shane, and now I'm 153. So seven pounds of uh, uh, less. I don't need to be big for this matchup. I need to be fast. I need to be quick. I need to be powerful. But yeah, every time uh, we go outside and smell some croissant and see some uh, pizza and everything, it looks uh, quite delicious. <laughs> so you're 153 right now because you look you don't look sunk in or anything at all. You look like you're just like when I talked to you in the. Uh... When you're not having a fight, you look you look good. Yeah, I, I'm not a guy who get destroyed by the the weight cut. Oh, sorry, sorry, my phone uh, lag battery. So yeah, I'm not someone who's getting destroyed by weight cut. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm loose. I I'm on abs. I'm in very good shape. I it's the first time that I. But well, basically, let me come back a bit for for the last four weeks. This this big intense camp. I never trained that hard. I never trained with that much intensity. I, I made some small changes, uh, 
through uh, some aspect. And I, I never been training that hard, putting that much energy. And I, that's why I think my weight was dropping is because I, I put my body through so much during those four weeks. Four weeks is not long, but it was very intense. So, yeah, I'm not carrying any unnecessary uh, uh, fat or uh, unnecessary muscle mass that would be just drain me because of the weight cut. So, yeah, I'm lean. I'm excited. The, yesterday we had pads. Uh, Project The Rock was there. UFC, there was like uh, six, seven cameras just for me hitting pads. The, the, the media really seemed to enjoy what I'm doing and my energy. And, uh, yeah, it was so intense. And normally fight week, like for the Burgos week, I was like, no, I don't want to train. I, I, I felt like shit during uh, the Burgos fight week. And now I just feel so much energy, so good. And I think I'm going to stay around that weight uh, more often. But we'll see how I perform. It's all a matter uh, It's all a matter of how I perform. Absolutely. And are you planning on sticking around for a couple of days afterwards? When are you planning on flying back to Quebec? Yeah, I'll see. My, my plane is, is supposed to come back, I think, Monday morning or Sunday night. But uh, I'm, I'm here with my girlfriend. My fiance is here. Uh, Clarence and uh, we might uh, we might go look around maybe Croatia, Spain, uh, Greece, Italy. Like there's so many beautiful places around, and uh, she haven't had the chance to travel for a while because of her vaccine status. And now that she's free to do it, uh, when she come back, I think she needs to do a two-week quarantine or something. Uh, so why why not enjoy it? But it's all a matter of how I perform and how I feel about it, and then we'll make a decision. Uh, when we get there. I mean, yeah, you're already there. Just hop on a couple of trains. You can go, you know, the world is yours. You're with your fiance. This is, this is the time. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. It would be a, it would be a waste. And uh, even, uh, we'll, we'll see. It's all, it all depends on the performance, but I won't let it affect my mind uh, afterwards. Work is work and life is life. There's a, it's two different sphere and I need to make sure they, they both uh, don't collide too much. But yeah. I'll see how I feel after the fight, and there, yeah, there's multitude uh, of things to do, of course. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that performance. Thanks as always for your time, Charles, and uh, best of luck against Nathaniel Wood this Saturday. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure sharing with you. A huge thanks to all of our guests, Cyril Gaon, Taitu Ivasa, Charles Jordan, and Robert Whitaker. Thanks to them for appearing on the show. Always appreciate it, and always appreciate you, the listener. My favorite part of the show. Those who listen to it can't thank you enough. But you know what? I can thank you even more. And I will if you can take the opportunity to go to iTunes or wherever you get these podcasts and uh, rate and review them. Give us a nice review. I always appreciate that. You can also check out my website, www.aaron.report, which will give you links to all of the work that I do week in and week out. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back next week. I don't know if I'm going to be doing the show from here or from Vegas. Probably from Toronto, I would guess, because I'll be in Las Vegas covering UFC 279. But I don't touch down until Thursday in Sin City. So you'll probably get the podcast in advance. And you'll get to hear the interviews probably at a later date. Uh, likely not part of the podcast. I might do a separate interview edition. Not sure. But you can always go to tsn.ca slash UFC for all of the latest interviews. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.